0: Okay. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is June the 19th, Monday, the start of one of the last weeks of June, uh, end of the first half of 2023. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined this morning by three of our favorite experts, Amar Nagyia, Global Head of Derivatives at BB Energy, Jorge Montepecque, no. President and Founder no. of Global Markets. And... Adi Emcurovich, director of Sorry Clean Energy. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jorge, let me start with you. Welcome back. I haven't seen you in a while. Good to have you. Thank you. Um, give us your uh, perspective. Let's let's look at this now of this year of two halves for today's conversation. We are finishing the first half of 2023. Many expectations were set out for this first six months, and many expectations for the next six months. So, in your point of view has the market, has the energy market, the commodities market behaved as expected? If not, why not? Uh, And and what's your main sort of takeaway uh, for the first six months?
1: The main takeaway has been the really bad impact of the rising interest rates in, in the US, which has led to a rise in interest rates globally. There is a lot of need for debt maintenance by many governments, and that means a misallocation of resources from the private sector to the public sector. And this drains out money from every person that has to pay a mortgage or buy anything. Uh, I highlighted that earlier this year in your program about how people were facing a doubling or more in the interest component of their mortgages. That's straight money going out of everyone's pocket. This has been really bad. What I didn't account for was the impact it would have globally in economies that have, are also linked with the US, like China. So China is also suffering from that drop in private demand, that misallocation of resources. So what I wasn't accounting for is the super negative impact on China. It's just a reminder, really, that I should have had, and all of us should have had, about how link we all are. And if one wheel in a car starts coming off, no matter how the other three work, they won't work so well. So we saw overnight that um, Goldman Sachs is reducing the expected growth in the Chinese economy. And they are among the latest in many other uh, forecasters and banks in uh, foreseeing a reduction in the expected uh, growth in, in China. So among the most, most disappointing uh, things that happened so far this year is the fact that China's return post-COVID hasn't had the boost that we were all expecting, because it was erased by the interest rates.
0: Okay, thanks, Jorge. Adi, let me go to you on that. I mean, all eyes have been on China and continue to be, particularly this week. And last week, there was an expectation of an mm-hmm. announcement of stimulus from the, from the government that didn't come. Now the markets are kind of waiting to see if that's going to happen. But even if it does, uh, how much do energy markets expect that to you know, boost Chinese demand in the second half of the year? I mean, what's the the sentiment right now going forward for the next quarter?
2: Assuming
0: we get some more stimulus action from the government.
3: Absolutely. Well, I I think we'll we'll have to expect some stimulus coming in. The problem is obviously that uh, China has a very limited scope for such as stimulus. Most of the stimulus in China was coming from the property market. So every time they reduced the rates, injected more money in the economy, what happened was that, you know, money would go into the real estate market where there's sort of subprime situation in many ways. So that would make things only worse. So you know, welcome to a capitalist economy, China. you know, they they have to they have to manage it. and uh, also on the other hand, we have a couple of other issues. we have it's a it's a mature economy that and it's perfectly normal for China to slow down. Uh, and thirdly, I think we have demographic effects where also China is is getting older. So, I think it's becoming very, very difficult to, for China to, to do an appropriate stimulus without having any side effects. Uh, the market, I think, is still hopeful. Um, that, that, and, and I think market is hopeful for a number of other reasons. Normally, Chinese demand does pick up in the sort of uh, third and fourth quarter, especially fourth quarter, sort of some buildup for the sort of Chinese New Year um, um, uh, holidays. Uh, and, and, and historically, we've seen a better demand but it's not just about China, it's about other other re- other reasons are out there for for market to expect some some pickup. Uh, we've got United States finally buying some oil for the SPR as opposed to be as opposed to selling about a million barrels. So now they're buying a couple of million barrels a month uh, for the rest of the year. So all of these things should add up with with together with uh, increased demand for jet fuel, which we expect to increase by you know uh, at least a, a million barrels a, a, a day. I think we should see some pickup, but you know China um, uh, China has continued to to surprise on 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 a negative side. So we'll just have to wait and see
0: okay Amar, uh, good morning. let's talk about there's a headline uh, on our bulletin today which says another bank has revised you know it's its oil price forecast down last week we had Goldman doing the same sort of negative economic growth. everyone's saying that that you know the interest rate rises that Jorge was mentioning are really haven't trickled through and we expect those to hit the US economy and others now. Um, would you would you would you agree with that or you know are we still expecting possibly a tight market uh, for demand uh, a tight market for supply I should say and 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 not demand uptick in the second half?
2: Well I mean you know you have to understand that these banks when they forecast they forecast I think the average price for the year or the quarter or whatever it is which is meaningless right So if the average price is let's say a hundred, it could be 1 or and 101 or whatever it is 201 and and the average will be 100 so it's not telling you a lot right so if, if the month starts off at $1 and it ends at $201 then the average is 100 so these averages are you know uh, meaningless i don't know why or how people would use them but you know day to day i don't think they're very useful Um, And, uh, you know, what Colgate was saying is absolutely right. I mean, if if you're driving a car and a wheel falls off, then, you know, it's only a matter of how long you go before before you crash. And what's interesting is that's where the money is. The money is how long does the three wheels uh, keep turning to take you just that little bit further before basically, um, you know, we all uh, nosedive. But I think the expectation in markets whether it's in financial markets whether it's in oil is that you know we come off but I remember on this show last week we were trading 6650 or something on WTI this morning we're like 7150 plus or minus right everybody's bearish and all the rest of it yet market moves up same with the US economy everybody it's all shit we're going to die blah 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 what happens market moves up so there's there's a delay between kind of you know markets facing reality and markets are about positioning sentiment if they know that people are short they squeeze them if they know that people are long they they push it down etc cetera, etc cetera, which is what we're interested in because we're interested in making money uh, not so much you know the forecast is lowered or 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 raised or whatever it is, which is absolutely meaningless for, for you know, in terms of trading.
0: Okay, we are, as you said, volatility is good for traders, but Jorge, it's not so good for economic planning or perhaps monetary uh, policy either. And what, what's the latest feeling do you get from the US uh, Fed policy direction? We obviously had an expected no change uh, in interest rates last week, but now again, the guessing is, well, what they're gonna do next month, et cetera. Uh, and there's contradicting headlines out there of how uh, you know hawkish it will continue to be or not, depending what side of the fence you're on. But what's your outlook? Do you think for for Fed policy going forward? It's just getting a bit more confusing for them to manage, isn't it?
1: Well, Jeremy Powell, in a way, is very clear. He has said he is stopping the rise for just a little bit of time, and then to be ready to expect further increases in interest rates. One could interpret that he's being very independent and separate from the central government in the US who would like lower interest rates to ensure that it can be reelected in the upcoming elections. Or one could interpret this differently and saying that the US deficit is so out of control and The Treasury has to sell so many bonds, billions and billions, I think 1.2 or something like that in in the short term. And therefore, interest rates will rise as the supply of bonds increases. So all this means, and I think it's a very good idea to keep it high level, is the U.S. government needs to suck in money from the rest of the world to keep the deficit going. The U.S. is in a very privileged position that can suck in this money from the rest of the world. While let's say Turkey or Argentina who have huge deficits cannot do the same. Their interest rates have rise to stratospheric levels while in the U.S. is marginal. But what we're seeing and we should be ready for is continuing rise in interest rates, not just in America, but in the UK and in Europe, because there's a huge misallocation, huge deficits, and never to be forgotten, the impact of the war. The war is resulting in more misallocation and more usage of primary materials by the main economies. This has to weigh on everyone else. So bottom line, I think, the major economies will have to do the equivalent of printing later this year, not just quite now, but later mm-hmm. as they see the interest rates rising, right? There's a level that they, they will react. As they resume printing, and here I would agree that all, one has to be ready for the unexpected and those imbalances, then as, in, as printing resumes, we can expect oil prices to increase later this year due to the money printing, not due to a rise in private demand.
0: Okay, thanks, Jorge. Well, I mean, the fight against inflation continues. The Fed has reiterated that it's still targeting this 2%, uh, Adi, so one would assume we're gonna still see this hawkish stance, maybe until later we see some easing, as Jorge just said. Adi, uh, you mentioned the US going in and buying uh, SPR. Uh, and, and just let's talk a little bit about OPEC. I don't know if we've had you on the show since, or at least I haven't talked to you, since uh, they, they did that unilateral Saudi cut. And I'd like to get your point of view now, two to three weeks into that uh, and after that announcement. How's the market taking that? It looks like it's ignoring it as, as far as I can tell. Uh, and, and let's get your uh, points of view on that in terms of market impact and also... Uh, You know, what, if anything, uh, is the Saudi and Russian relationship doing now going forward now that we're seeing Saudi take a very unilateral responsibility within OPEC plus?
3: Sure. Sure. It's quite connected to the point you mentioned earlier that you started talking about rates and everything else, because uh, at the end of the day, it's Mm. it's the financial markets that set the flat price for oil, not not the oil players who load and trade physical oil. And I think that's probably a very important point to to understand. And it is the fundamentals such as likelihood of um, uh, inflation, growth, recession, um, uncertainties regarding monetary um, policy and so on that actually drive the market at the end of the day. Saudis, uh, obviously OPEC and, and led by the Saudis, are in a very, very difficult position right now. Uh, they fully understand the slowdown uh, in the economy or expectations of a slowdown in the economy. They also see weaker demand from China. Uh, and at the same time, they would like to keep Russia in the fold of the OPEC+. Plus. Um, and OPEC-plus is not doing anything. OPEC-plus is totally redundant simply because Russia is not doing anything. Russia is at war. Russia needs every single penny, uh, uh, that they, they can they can make by exporting oil, and they're highly unlikely to do anything um, to actually cut their uh, exports and production. Even though they've indicated 500,000 barrel cuts, uh, it resulted in nothing. Um, uh, as a result, OPEC is actually under pressure because now because of the redundancy of OPEC plus, OPEC itself is, is losing credibility. It goes back a long way. It goes back to October cut that hasn't really made any impact. That goes to the voluntary cut of 1.666 million barrels a day, which actually in reality resulted only in Saudis cutting. So now we're going back to the sort of 85 when the Saudis are becoming swing producer again. And in that panic, I think that sort of uh, the Saudi oil minister announced this unilateral, a bizarre unilateral cut. In June, whatever that means, or July, sorry, whatever that means, uh, because nominations already have been made for the month, uh, and um, you know that that sort of digs only deeper uh, into the sort of Saudi swing producer role, which 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 is untenable in in, in a weak market, and the Saudis know that very well. Um, only this time, I think the Saudis will find it very very hard to push Russia as they did in twenty twenty. with the the excess supply and the threat of a price war, because simply Russia doesn't care. They're already in a sort of untenable situation themselves. So it's an extremely difficult um, situation that probably explains the sort of theatrics and and, and the language of the the people at the very top of OPEC. Um, I don't see longer-term Saudis actually being sink producer. I don't think they've ever wanted to have that role. I don't think they ever will want to be in that role. And they're simply in a very difficult position. Uh, and the only thing that can help them is, is a pickup in demand later on in the year. And, and, and I think that what they're hoping for, otherwise, I just don't see much of a resolution uh, to this problem.
0: Yeah. Well, perhaps we'll see a pickup, thanks, Adi, in demand because of these heat waves, Omar, in India and China already hitting the normal now regular occurrence of summer heat heat waves, not just hotter weather. China, India pulling on you know, obviously that should be giving giving us a lot of gas demand, for example. Do you do you see that feeding into the market at all in the next quarter in terms of no, flows of gas no, or no. energy support? No. No,
2: no. So what Adi is saying is is correct. So it's not the physical demand that's going to make a difference to the price, right? It's speculative money, right? What about so gas physical prices though.
0: Gas prices. Gas
2: prices are exactly the same. I mean, physical gas and physical oil trade i mean the, the speculative money paper money futures money derivatives money is at least 10 to 100 times if not 100 to 1000 times more than physical oil and physical gas doesn't matter if it's hot in india or cold in venezuela or the arctic is defrosting it's not going to make a difference oil is a is is a is a is a commodity it's it's, it's a financial asset right so <laughs> what if you get basically um, if oil starts moving higher, if basically governments start printing money because they can't keep rise, raising interest rates. I mean, it's 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 amazing that they raise interest rates to five percent while fighting inflation at ten percent and fighting you know uh, consumer inflation at ten percent and 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 inflation into. Um, Um, into factories at like, you know, 15% or 20%, right? So what if you get this inflation? What if basically inflation keeps going? Markets, even though it's basically, um, you know, everybody's bearish about the real economy and all this kind of stuff, and people just keep putting money into stocks because there is no other alternative. They'll buy stocks, they'll buy commodities, they'll buy everything. And the Fed keeps you know, uh, interest rates at 5%. So you have a massive inflationary cycle where everything goes up except the purchasing power of your money, uh, dollar tanks, um, and other things like the euro and the GBP relative to the US dollars uh, go up in value. Uh, but that's, that's the first scenario. Second scenario is you get a massive deflationary wave, which basically says <laughs> that all assets fall, you get a massive recession, no demand in India, oh, oh, and everything falls, right? So between the two, the second one, the deflationary, is very much like connect the dots, right? So I see a dot here, I see a dot here, and it's expected I've connected the dots, you know, like you do in, um, you know, those little books that you get for drawing. The first one is what nobody expects. Nobody expects to see, uh, you know, big time inflation, hyperinflation. And it's, it's quite amazing that the Fed chairman can come and say we're going to increase rates at least two more times in 2023, but we're pausing now. And then the market gives them a big raspberry and keeps going higher. Right. So in other words, if people are worried about inflation, what are you going to do with your money? How are you going to earn money? You're going to have to put it in markets. Otherwise, inflation is going to be eating it 5 10 15 20% a year so in other words you buy anything and everything yeah. goes up while everything is still shit like the you know Weimar republic where we go to buy a mcdonald's or a piece of bread with a truckload of money so that's what nobody's expecting everybody's expecting to connect the dots at some point we get a uh, you know um, a recession and uh, prices fall
0: Okay. But a lot of uncertainty, like Adi was just saying on the chat there, you know, uncertainty is the buzzword. Jorge, uh, back to you. Let's talk a bit about, uh, you know, we must address the the fact that uh, the Secretary of State of the US is in China at the moment, Blinken, and um, has not yet met with President Xi, but is expected to perhaps today. Uh, You know, an attempt by the US and China to make nice-nice after several months and really several years of, of not great relationships. What do you do? You expect any progress in the next six months on trade, on just general security relations, uh, on IT uh, cooperation? You know, where do you see that going, or is this just another pre-U.S. Well, election?
1: <clears throat> the U.S. I think is slowly realizing that it is actually a multipolar world; it's no longer unipolar. And in that process, it would then first try to jawbone an opponent, to tell them what to do, to sanction them. And I think you would need to be really disconnected from reality if you hadn't realized by now that sanctions have a boomerang effect. Every sanction that has been put in place has swung right back. And you can see, how the market gets around, right? Russia is exporting as much oil as they elect to do. So is Iran, so is Venezuela. So the sanctions haven't worked for anything. And as the US tries to press down China on semiconductors, on export policies, they are also not listening, they're doing what they should do, which is what is better for their country, right? Everybody of certain size can elect to do their own policies. So, Blinken went there to, I guess, try to smooth some things out, to also try to tell China not to intervene in Ukraine. And what he visibly achieved is to be welcome on arrival by a minor Chinese official. And after two days, he hasn't seen Mr. C yet, has he?
0: So, no, but he might. What do you think? But
1: he's been, in a way, putting his place. Don't come and bother us unless we really invite you to do so. And don't come really to tell us what to do. We are big. So I think going forward, we're going to see a more and more independent China. And we need to be ready for that. And we should be very ready to welcome cooperation and commercial agreements with everyone. But Europe still has not really been listening to the fact that it's a multipolar world, still hanging on to the old. And this slows down the economy as well. This is part of the reason why Western economies are suffering. They're not ready to engage commercially, which is really what we need to do.
0: Okay, well, let's see how that goes. Well, there's our survey for today, the question which we addressed earlier, price, average prices. It has averaged Brent below 80 in the first half. So what would it average in the second half? I mean, I said it doesn't make a difference, but, you know, it does t- tell you something about what peaks we might reach or not, perhaps. So that could push the average up uh, or, or or not. So above or below $80, what are we going to see it averaging out in in the second half of the year. A lot of uncertainty, as Adi said earlier. Adi, just back to you. uh, We mentioned, Jorge mentioned sanctions and how they're not effective, and we've seen that obviously oil has continued to flow. Let's just talk a little bit about, um, back to to OPEC, sorry, but with Iran, Saudi, we have a headline today talking about this new Saudi-Iran renewing their ties Mm -hmm. and talking about new maritime security. Uh, again, another new development really this year, uh, which is moving pretty fast as far as we can tell. Um, any impact do you see that from that in terms of sentiment on the markets? In terms of Saudi Iran making nice, nice Iran's back mm-hmm. in OPEC in terms of uh, quotas, etc.
3: Well, I, th- I think the market and pretty much everyone welcomes the um, sort of the the, the rapprochement between the two countries, uh, simply because less the less geopolitical risk in the region in the Gulf, the better for everyone, including the Gulf countries. Um, uh, I, think, I think the re- we are seeing China getting a lot more involved as well there diplomatically, and they should. They they depend far more on the on the on, on the Gulf uh, exports than the United States and Europe. So I, I think we are seeing different sort of political um political uh changes in, in that part of the world. Uh, overall um I think it, it there's a, you know I'm not a much of a political analyst myself, but I can see you know I think big impact of the Biden uh, administration um, uh, re-election efforts in, in the region as well in, in regards to with, with the discussion with United uh, with um, with Iran uh, we we've seen uh, Iran exports and production and exports hitting record highs three million barrels production one and a half million mm-hmm. barrels exports. Uh, and, and, and that ties in very well with the, with the um, situation with Russia. Um, it, it was actually Europe and European sanctions that were supposed to block Russian exports. It was actually Biden's insistence on a price cap that actually the only reason why that price cap was ever implemented was actually to allow the flow of Russian crude. The so Biden administration wants to see as much Russian crude come out as possible, of course, under the sort of uh, sort of low price regime, if possible. Low price regimes has nothing to do with caps. It's actually to do with a uh, lot longer um, supply routes and, and, and high freight rates and whatnot. Um, uh, the same situation with Iran, the same situation with Venezuela. So. Uh, as we approach the elections, uh, we can probably see Biden's administration pushing very, very hard for more Russian, Iraq, Venezuela, Iran, Venezuelan exports um, because it suits them. They won't see lower gasoline prices, which, which is actually the key domestica determinant.
0: Okay, thanks, Adyama. On that subject of gasoline and other uh, product prices, let's get your outlook for that for the Q3. Let's talk about jet a bit with the travel season well into play already. Diesel was not looking so positive globally until, or is, is that still the case? Quickly, just look at the result of that survey question. So 67% of our watchers today think it's gonna be below 80 uh, as well for the rest of the year. So, so for the whole year, uh, sticking below 80 on the average. Amar, just your point, your, your outlook on products, uh, uh, margins, etc. cetera.
2: Um, so um, gas oil cracks went from about 17, $17 to about 21 and a half in the space of a couple of days. So from 17, $17 to about 21 and a half, so 89 dollars 21 so that's a massive move, right? So that should be telling you that uh, products are are strong. But I think, um, you know, because of this quote, quote, uncertainty, you know, if, if people um, are bullish, then, you know, obviously they buy. If people are bearish or investors are bearish, then they sell. But I think there's a point to be made or a point to consider or something to um, a better strategy, which is the the strategy that we call the dead investor. So bullish investor buys, um, bearish investor sells. The dead investor, because he's dead, does absolutely nothing. And I think basically this is the time to be a, a, a dead investor, neither bullish nor bearish, but basically wait Uh, for something to happen in the short term i think markets rise i think oil rises but in the long term it's 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 either going to be one disaster or the next it's definitely a disaster so it's either going to be massive inflation or massive deflation so you know and i think basically what worries me is that everybody's expecting deflation everybody's expecting recession everybody's and, and and the world is very used to it, but the world is not used to this idea of, you know, massive inflation. And and the other thing that worries me is with all this debt in the West, if they keep raising interest rates, how are they going to pay for their debt? You know, the only way that you get rid of debt is you, you inflate it away. So your hundred dollars is now worth you know a uh, a dollar in real terms and and basically you do that you, you you keep inflating the uh your debt and 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 you just get rid of it that way so that's that what that's what worries me in the longer term and that everybody's worried about a recession everybody's you know deflationary and um there's no you know the risk is basically uh inflation i think
0: okay thanks i want very briefly we will give you the last word on the inflation Risk. Do you think that the Fed will, will, will sort of still follow this? We must get everything down to 2% in the US, or are we? Get, we, are, we already saw some hesitancy on that, but do you think that will remain a target, realistically speaking?
1: No, absolutely not. And I would concur 100% with Omar. In order to get inflation to 2%, you have to have a face peeling depression, you have to increase interest rates above 10% if you're serious about bringing inflation down to 2%. But the US economy is already in a spiral down with the fact that if it raises interest rates to that level, there will be a huge portion of the budget just to sustain interest payments, which they cannot do because they won't have money for anything else. There are mandatory spending that they have to do and discretionary spending. If interest rates rise too much and they're already at that level, then the budget part that has to go to discretionary spending will now have to go to interest payments. So they cannot afford that. So they have to print. There's no option, but they have to print. The only question we have is will they print in the fall Will they print Mm. in the winter or will they print in the spring? But we cannot go beyond the spring without printing. And this will bring inflation. And this will bring higher prices nominally, but not in reality. Hence, hands up here, in the vote, I put over 80 because I'm expecting inflation to hit.
0: Okay Jorge, thank you so much. There we go. We have a very well two of our speakers today very sure we're gonna see uh, more inflation. There will be a limit to these rate rises. Amar says buy Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, let's see where that goes. Thank you so much Jorge and thanks so much for joining us everyone and have a great week.